Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com. I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me are Benno and Jamesy. And uh, guys, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been together. How's it going? Benno, or you, I think you had a big move, didn't you? Yeah, I found myself living in 1995 with no internet to last show. So sorry I missed that one. We're quite late notice, but... Yeah, I live in a, it's a very old house and there's just, I had 4G signal, but not enough 4G signal for a Skype call. But yeah, I'd like to say it's all done. I'm still living in between boxes. Um, but I really enjoyed the show last week. It was really good. I thought JP did a great job slotting in um, and I really enjoyed you guys' uh, half year report. And uh, well, I've only, I think I've only moved twice in my life. Yeah, and I, I, I really feel for you because, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, not exactly the easiest thing. Because you look at your house and you're like, oh, I ain't actually got that much stuff. And then when you start packing it up, you're like, why the fuck have I got so many yeah. things? <laughs> yeah, I still haven't even cleared out the old house. I've still got the old house for a couple of weeks, so I still need to go back and clear stuff out. It's just, it's never ending. I'm finding like old computers and old hard drives with probably all kinds on uh just the, the big boxes of cables that you just keep for for, for reasons uh i don't know i don't know why i've got half that stuff but yeah still uh, lots of fun going on over here yeah <laughs> yeah i think i've got a big box of cables like that and it's still got like stuff from like computers that i don't even know anymore, <laughs> but i'm like i'm sure they'll come in handy someday yeah, yeah you need those scott leads it's a uh, it's a man <laughs> thing isn't it i think we just need just in case i might, I might need that Never like, old style usb cable <laughs> Yeah, I need those Xbox headphones when I haven't got an Xbox anymore. But yeah, I'm sure they'll come out one day. Um, I mean, I've had a pretty exciting couple of weeks. All booked for uh, Japan for the two weeks of the start of January. Got my tickets oh, awesome. for uh, both dates at the Tokyo Dome the other day. I mean, that was a pain in the arse using that site. Can you remember when, like, when um, ticketing first went online and, you know, you try and order something and then it'd have 10 tickets in you? outbox just as you were about to pay for it and you had to go back mm-hmm. and do it again yeah to do a lot about four or five times on this one site that sells uh sells tokyo dome tickets but yeah all sorted now so uh i'll be there with the uh, in, uh, in the western block uh i imagine those <laughs> who probably just shove all the westerners in uh, in one block in the tokyo dome but yeah really looking forward to it i'm still trying to rack my brain who's going to headline that thing i mean Surely it's going to be Liger's last match headlining one of the nights, but um, um, and then maybe an Okada uh, Naito rematch. I'm not sure. I mean, what what do you guys think, James? Are you any thoughts on what's going to be headlining the Dome this year? Yeah, well, I've I've been busily busily this week doing my um, post wrestling pick'em just to oh, give him a bit go. of a plug there. Rubbing it in. Um, and just, in case, you, any, just in case, yeah, just in case anyone wants to look at the leaderboard there, you'll see, <laughs> you'll see a guy called Jamesy at the top. And that's just in case people aren't sure that's actually me. Um, and and I think I'm going to go the same way as JP did last year. I think it's probably <laughs> going to go very rapidly downhill very fast. So I, I, I'm, I'm delighted that there's been a week gap between night one and night two. So I've had a full week to bask in my glory at the top of the league there. Kick yeah, and frame it on your kitchen wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One point behind you, I'm going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and that. What's the robot called? A Randobot. I'm gonna fat you and Randobot. You're the two that I want to catch. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think you'd probably. Well, my prediction is is that Naito will win it, and you'd probably get the Naito Okada match. I don't know if that's the way you've gone, Benno, in your picks or exactly that. Yeah, so we might yeah. find ourselves uh, battling at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people have gone for Kota Ibushi, haven't they, to to win the G1. Yeah. I think that's maybe more wishful thinking than anything. Uh, I think, yeah, it's going to be... I think this year's the story of the redemption of Okada, so I do think, yeah, Okada... My personal opinion is Okada wins the whole G1. Um, but then who he faces at Wrestle Kingdom is a good question, yeah. But whether it is Naito or they do oh, go... You, you know. 
You oh. think Okada wins the G1? Yeah, that's my brave call. Oh, I'm going for it. Okay, okay, sorry. I have Naito winning the G1 and oh. then Okada and Naito at the Dome. Sorry, yeah. Well, that's what we'll fight over then. That's, uh... yeah. <laughs> that's, that's better. I'm glad now. It's an no cracker for the same. <laughs> there you go. You might Keeps be bottom, Benno, but the only way he's up now, really, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm second place on the post one. I'm bottom on Voices of Wrestling. Oh, I like to, I, spread wrestling, my, yeah. I spread my chips, man. I make sure. Like, if there was another five contests that I could enter, I'd enter those two with different picks as well. But, yeah, I'm about doing okay in post so far. Good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's like you noted there, James. I mean, JP started off uh, hot and heavy last year and soon sort of slipped down. So, you know, there's uh, plenty of time just yet. <laughs> I mean, if you, I've been sort of like looking online today and um, I thought 2019 was a pretty bizarre year for wrestling already. But um, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen this Joey Janela and Enzo Amore having a little scuffle at a Blink-182 concert of all places. I don't know what you made of that. Have you managed to watch the video, Benno? Yeah, I don't think either comes off well, do they? No. Uh, when you've got people on Twitter trying to pick out, well, Janela looks like his body language is like he's backing up a little bit. But Enzo looks like he's moving. It's ridiculous. Like, they just both look silly, don't they? Trying to, two grown men in the, are they both in the 30s? Trying to get in a fight at a Blink-182 concert. <laughs> like, come on. You can hear the music in the background as well, like the bland's vainly like going through all the greatest hits, but they're more bothered about, you know, uh, hanging out, growing a beer and trying to have a little shoving contest. It reminded me of the fights you used to see in school where people would just stand there with their fists up going, come on, no, you come on, no, you come on. Yeah. And I see other people doing the work, pushing them into each other, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Bizarre. But anyway, yeah, we're not really here to talk about uh, Janela and Enzo Amore <laughs> having a little scuffle. Um, we've got loads of stuff to talk about, like we always have. I mean, uh, it's a big, always uh, lots happens in a fortnight in uh, European wrestling. And uh, I mean, let's just jump into something like really positive uh, first off. I know people accuse us of being quite negative on this show, but yeah, let's jump into something positive. And uh, Riptide Wrestling, who held their Point Break show past weekend in their home base of Brighton. And Full show hasn't quite dropped on on demand yet, but they uploaded the main event of the show, Pack against Cara Noir, and I mean, mm. we talked um, a bit about Riptide on a, a few shows ago about their uh, Rumble event and how great that was, and so we're looking forward to this event coming along. They don't run many events sort of like uh, once every few months, uh, I think this was the fourth event of the year so far, and one thing that stands out from this match as soon as it starts is a fantastic atmosphere for this one. I mean, the crowd's mm. fully behind Cara Noir here. Fantastic match, some great near falls. Pac seem more up for this than I've seen him all year. And I mean, Cara Noir is someone we haven't really talked about that much, but he's got fantastic entrance. Very theatrical, comes out with huge wings on, great music. And um, I mean... I was thinking earlier, I mean, when Pac was released, we wanted all these dream matches against Will Ospreay and Sabre Jr. and that, but moving on now, it seems these matches against small-known talents that is really, really excelled for me, Benno. Yeah, definitely. Like, this was... I heard people saying this was his best match in the UK. I think I'd still... I'd still go with the OJMO match, the OJMO match. I think I'd... I think... I think there was just something a little bit more there, but this was close. This ran it close, and I'm not going to hugely argue. And, yeah, it's kind of the... As sad as it is, it's the perfect way to book Pac, isn't it? You know, you, we know that he's going to be, uh, until he loses to Benke, he's going to be going over. And you know, as soon as he gets booked, yes, if he gets booked in advance, it not that it fills you with dread, you still look forward to the match, but you're not hugely excited because you know the outcome. And Riptide just got did it perfectly, didn't he? Bring him in as a, as a surprise 
he's super happy to be there when he comes out. He's super over when the when the crowd see him come out as well. And it just yeah, it just worked absolutely absolutely perfectly. And yeah, it was just Karen O'Hara is the perfect opponent for him. You said there, he's not a wrestler. You really you know as far as mainstream Brit res go, I suppose if that's the way you want to put it. You we maybe don't see him a lot. I mean, yeah, you mentioned that the top... same Red Pro, wasn't he? Mm, a while but... back. Yeah, but you know, not in a particularly featured position. And you know, you mentioned before, Mark. You know, we can't be negative on this show, uh, mainly because mainstream Brit Res isn't very good right now. Uh, but the, it's the likes of Riptide, and it's these, you know, not maybe hidden gems as strong, but you know, these types of wrestlers and these types of shows that are maybe uh, putting some of the more mainstream promotion, promotions to shame. Because yeah, I thought it was great. I thought. Riptide is a great promotion to showcase a match like this. It's a great place to showcase a character like like Cara Noir. If people haven't seen him, you can kind of, you could imagine him working really well on like an NXT, mm. uh, you know, doing like doing like the stage performer kind of kind of act uh, with the incredible uh, entrance uh, with the orchestra like music and the again the incredible Riptide camera work following him out. He's perfect for this production, isn't he? He's a full-on performance artist, and he he fits perfectly here. Um, and yeah, this was the perfect place to do this match because it really felt like a you know a star-making performance. Pack was his usual great heel self. The crowd was so into it, you kind of forgot that that Karanoa probably couldn't win this thing at the end. Mm. But he he did enough in the match to to really stand out. His style is really distinctive with his kind of weird kind of almost barefoot style. You don't see him in a lot of other, you know, major indies. So he he really is offering something different right now. And yeah, I think uh, Riptide was the perfect place to do it. And I'm ideal that they they throw this on YouTube as well because hopefully it'll uh, it'll get a lot of eyes on them too. I mean, it certainly needs to. But um, I mean, Karen, how are someone who was on your radar, Jamesy? Um, only a little bit. Um, I remember seeing him in a match that was put up on YouTube. I'm struggling to remember the name of the promotion, but it was one of the smaller promotions about a year ago. And I watched it because it was one of Scotty Davis's first matches in the UK. And I kind of left that match not massively impressed with Cara Noir. I thought Scotty kind of completely outclassed him and kind of was was clearly the better wrestler in that match. Um, and that was kind of the impression I had of him for quite a while. Um, but it's, it's, it's what we talked about before. Riptide seemed to have a knack of presenting people um, where you get them, you know, you see their strengths and you see them at their very best. And like he was one of the standout guys to me on that Riptide Rumble show that we watched. I think he had a really, really solid match with Chris Ridgway on that match, on that show, if I remember rightly. And then and then again, they really featured him heavily in the Rumble. I, I think if I remember rightly, he was the Iron Man of that Rumble. I think he was in there for maybe 40 minutes. Um, so he's clearly somebody that, that they're behind. And he's clearly somebody who's, as you guys said, who's really suitable for that environment, for that promotion. Um, and I just thought he was tremendous in the in the underdog role here i think as far as i know one of the things about his character is that he doesn't speak at all so he's not a guy who's going to be cutting promos so he has to rely i suppose on his body language he's like a masked wrestler almost in a way you know he has to rely on his body language on the way he carries himself on the way he moves around the ring um and his facial expressions as well are tremendous. And I mean, w- w- one thing that I found really enjoyable at the start of the match was this way that he, he, he like, you could see him in the ring when Pac's music hit and as Pac was coming to the ring and it was like, he, he was kind of acting like a guy who was, 
almost not like a wrestler. He was acting like a guy who was kind of overcome with joy mm. that he was going to get to wrestle pack. And when I saw that at the start, I thought, is this the way to play it? But it was actually perfect because he was he, he came across as completely likable and completely sympathetic. He kept doing that thing with Pac where he was trying to offer him his hand. So like what they managed to do there was pack him out and he was a massive baby face just by pure just from the pure fact that people were so surprised and happy to see him, they were cheering him. But by doing this constant offering of the handshake, it gave it gave Pack the chance to kind of turn heel within the match almost. You know what I mean? And straight away that got the crowd on Karen Noir's side completely. Um, there's a desperation about the way he moves in the ring. Like there's one point where Pack is on the top rope, and he's got. I think he tries to hit. Um, I think it's a 450 he hits. And, you know, you'll often do the spot where the wrestler rolls out of the way. But here, Karen Noir kind of flings himself out of the way in desperation just at the last minute. And it was just such, he kind of does the simple things that that most wrestlers do, but does them in a way that's so unique and different. He's just a really, he's a really easy guy to get behind. And I mean, again, we keep saying every time we watch Riptide, we keep saying that they... They're using people well. Like this was the perfect way to use Pack. Bring him out as a surprise. You don't have to. You don't have to have Karanoir beating him. You know, like they're clearly on totally different levels in terms of, in terms of star power and that kind of thing. But if ever a guy lost a match but came out of it looking like a million dollars, it was Karanoir here. You know, and um, I think maybe you guys want to talk about it now. Kind of, we got a little snippet of an angle that happened just at the end of that match that kind of leaves us wanting more as well. Yeah, I mean, they, they had the beat down after, but it quickly cut off, didn't it? I mean, because we had um, the they ended the match with a, a bit of a beat down on was it on, was it on Karanoa? But then they quickly cut to the uh, Spike yeah, Trevay promo. Trevay promo yeah. yeah, I mean that promo package that was put together at the end of that was absolutely fantastic. Mm. I mean, him talking about being a broken toy, being resuscitated, and how he'll take what he wants, and absolutely brilliant stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, broken toy. I've heard that somewhere. Rest <laughs> podcast. Uh, yeah, he, he's great. Like even just in breaking down like the the Tory dynamic as well, talking about you know people just uh, think it's always oh, great fun to to launch into him, and he, he gives back with banter, and you know kind of almost breaking down the, the the fourth wall on his own on his own character. Yeah, he's an incredible. Pro- These types of packages are again the Riptide use people so well. It scratches you scratch your head why you know say on a progress show. There isn't this kind of long, you know, dedicated segment for a Spike Trevay. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a really wise decision, though, to, as well as the the match being really good, to throw this on the end of it as well. And uh, if anyone is sampling Riptide for the first time, they get to see uh, one of their big characters, too. I know you're really into this promo as well, Jamesy. Oh, big time, yeah. And I think the, the other part of it that was really good, and it goes back to, again, we talked the last time about JP's interview, with uh, one of the guys from Riptide is about how, how it's important for them to make their main title look important. And here we had a promo from a guy who he, he touches on an awful lot of things, but at the center of the promo is like the, the, the guy who's doing the interview with him asks him like, why, you know, what's your motivation? Well, you know, what's, why are you in Riptide? What, what's, what's driving you, you know? And he makes sure to say that the main thing that has all his focus is the Riptide Championship. So you, you leave that. If you've never seen this promotion before, you, you watch a three-minute promo from this guy who's so compelling, um, you know, who, who's who's got an axe to grind with the fans, who's got an axe to grind with all the other wrestlers. But at the center of it all, you're placing your 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 promotions championship. 
And that's that's what a wrestling company should be doing. You know, you, you should be making your championship the be all and end all. And it's it's simple booking, but it's incredibly effective. And it's, you know, when you see what other companies do with their championships, I mean, you see the way people, we'll talk about a show later where a championship I don't think is booked particularly well. And here, the championship is the center of everything. And that's what everybody wants. And that's that's what drives people. And that's that's to, that's good pro wrestling to me. And like, I haven't felt the feeling I got at the end of this video about a Brit rest company in a long, long time where I literally will be watching that video, that, that, that VOD, the day it drops. I can't wait to see what happens, you know, and they've been unlucky. We, again, we'll, we'll probably talk about them later with Jack Sexsmith uh, retiring. That's put a kibosh on a huge program that they'd built up, but I still want to see where they go from here. I want to see, you know, will Spike Trevay become the champion? Who's going to stop him? What happened with that beatdown? And like, that's the feeling I got with progress in the early years, you know, like it was really, it was serial drama where you ended one show, they often were left on a cliffhanger and you couldn't wait to see, you know, that Jimmy Havoc and Osprey feud, what was going to happen next? What would the next, you know, a, a promo would come online and you'd have Jimmy Havoc cutting this amazing promo and you couldn't wait to see what was next. And they've kind of, I think they've struck upon a compelling character again with Spike Trevay and they've really struck gold. And, and like, I'm hooked. As I said, I just can't wait to see this this show when it comes on. Well, I mean, we said before, and many other people have said, they've, I've tapped in something really, really special. I mean, Benno, you noted earlier, the shows look fantastic on VOD. You have a very unique look. Atmosphere always looks absolutely electric. And I mean, and you noted it there, uh, Jamesy, obviously on this same show, Jack Sexsmith announced his retirement after he found that he had uh, several ligaments beyond repair, if I if I read the news correctly. And, uh, I mean, Sexsmith's only been wrestling for around four years, but he certainly made a name for himself, not only in Riptide, but uh, Progress and many other promotions. Uh, you know, one of the first openly LGBTQ wrestlers in the UK, and he really made a connection with the fans being the pansexual phenomenon. So, uh, quite sad news to see uh, se- se- second retirement of this year after uh, Kid Lycos, Benno. Yeah, um, he kind of, it's funny when Jack Sexsmith, I think that like, I, I, I don't know if his ceiling was reached, like Progress was as big, it was obviously, you know, Progress is, you know, a lot of their branding and the everyone welcome stuff, you know, I know Sethrick played it up as like a character these last few months when he's been outside the Progress, but a lot of that was kind of built on the back of having this, you know, this central character, this central sympathetic crap character that people kind of, pulled towards and yeah well i was never you know i i was thought maybe jack sexsmith's ceiling was a bit lower than than other people did i I still think there was more progress could have done with him there were times where he was you know they were telling a good story of him trying to be you know a serious wrestler super strong style a couple of years ago that match had with zach gibson um and then they kind of dropped it and then tried to come back to it like a year later in a in a different match with Travis Banks and it never really worked. Yeah, it's an interesting legacy that, that the Jack Smith Sexsmith kind of leaves behind. And yet it is a I think the biggest shame is that, you know, although maybe that's what most people would know him for, like we said the last time we talked about Riptide and like James you said before, this was a place where he was doing something very different and doing something that was getting him, you know, he, he maybe and I've seen more layers to, to what a Jack Smith, Sexsmith could do as a character. So I was definitely interested in seeing where that goes. And yeah, it's uh, like uh, with the other uh, similar story you mentioned there earlier this year. It's uh, it's never nice to see somebody uh, having to retire so young. 
Yeah, he did seem to be uh, sort of like tapping into something else, didn't he, in Riptide, mm. Jamesy? Yeah, and it's an awful pity because even that Rumble show we watched, like th- throughout the course of that show, they had those really good promo packages where they were highlighting the feud between him and him and Trevay. And um, yeah, it's terribly sad for Jack that like they, they, he had found a place where he could excel. He could be a top guy, like to the best of my knowledge, he was one of the main inventors of the of the company. And just when he was on the cut, like he had, he had won that Rumble in that match, they were going to have a huge match at the show that just happened, you know, him and Trevay had set up that brilliant angle where they were going to have that match. Um, and we never get to see that. And it's, it's, it's sad for him that at a time when the scene really opened up and all the top guys left the scene and there were spots there available to be, to be grabbed by people that he's not going to get that chance, you know? And I think one of the nice things is he does seem to want to stay around the wrestling business. Um, I saw on Twitter there yesterday that he, he's going to do a commentary gig for TNT actually. Benno, so you um, mm. you might get to see him in Liverpool a little bit in the future. I think if if Riptide ever go down the ever do go down the road of um, putting commentary on their shows, then maybe he might be the guy to, who kind of gets the essence of the company and understands it. But like I know in that interview with JP, they were kind of reluctant to have commentary on their shows because quite frankly there aren't that many good commentators mm-hmm. around in Europe at the moment and no commentary is definitely better than bad commentary but a guy like Jack Sexsmith might be the solution you know a guy who, who really gets that company maybe more than anyone else you know so hopefully he stays around wrestling and hopefully he, he makes a good career in, in commentary and yeah just very sad and it's 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 sad that we seem to be having to talk about these things nearly on every show now, if it's not a wrestler passing away, it's a, a wrestler getting injured and retiring and that kind of thing. And yeah, these are the things, this, the, the, the downside to the, the business we kind of love, I suppose, you know, is the, the retirements and that kind of thing. You, I mean, just to go into the retirements, I mean, Benno, do you think it's more the style that people work these days? It's more sort of like, you know, high fly moves and things like that. Or do you think people are just more careful? And obviously, you know, with the NHS in England, you know, you're more likely mm. to get better healthcare rather than having to have insurance or anything in America. Well, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I think, I mean, to be a wrestler in general, you've kind of got, got to be willing to put your body through things that, you know, the likes of us would would struggle to do, you know. We, we simply talk about it on a podcast, and I obviously tried it once upon a time, and I'd never go back because it hurts a lot. Um, and, yeah, I, I do think that there's something to that. I think the, the Brit Rez style of, of now is very much more akin to the, the US indie style, um, whereas, you know, even if you went back 10 years ago, it was a lot slower, it was a lot less bump intensive, it was a lot less sort of work rate intensive is the words, but there's definitely, especially the promotion Sexsmith was working, you know, a progress is a hard hit of promotion. Uh, you're not really going to be taking many nights off, even with a style like Sexsmith, who did, you know, a, a fair amount of comedy. He also did a fair amount of underdog stuff where he was selling and taking mm. a lot of bumps as well. So, yeah, I think it's probably probably a combination of the two, but, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, yeah, the, the harder-hitting style maybe, you know, even the likes of us, we you kind of expect, you know, from wrestlers at this high level, can take its toll on people. And yeah, you know, not everybody's bodies are, are made alike, and not everybody reacts the same. And obviously, unfortunate accidents happen too. And yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, obviously, that's that's two high profile ones this year. Um, yeah, I wonder, I wonder uh, you know, going forward, if this this heavy style keeps up, and we have, you know, these these big promotions delivering these big matches, whether we even uh, see more. Quite a quite a sobering thought. I mean, uh, Jamesy fetched up uh, commentary and Brit rest. Obviously, uh, the two things don't go that well together uh, normally. And uh, 
that was certainly the case for the next show we're uh, going to be talking about, um, which is Pro Wrestling Eve. Uh, obviously, the all-female group had a, had a huge weekend of wrestling. They had three shows on the 28th, 29th, and 30th of June. A ton of Japanese talent mixed in with the usual Eve roster. And uh, the biggest of these shows was Wrestle Queendom 2 at York Hall on the 30th. Uh, second time the company's been at this venue. Not sure on attendance numbers, but from watching it on the VOD, it certainly looked like a pretty decent crowd in, in York Hall. And yeah, I mean, they had a lot of big matches on this show. They crowned new tag team champs, two favourites making the final appearance of the company, and a new international champion being crowned. Uh, we had Dan Reed on commentary and uh, Sierra Loxton, who has, has picked up an injury. So, obviously, you know, it's the right thing for Eve to do to keep her on the show. So, she gets uh, some kind of payday. But uh, maybe not the best thing to put her on commentary because... Uh, mm. Yeah, it was, wasn't the best, was it? I mean, oh, my God. Oh, I oh. My, co- my commentary appearance <laughs> would be. <laughs> you might as well just have mic'd up a fan. It was like, it was just, it, you're right, it's like the reaction you'd be given in the crowd. That was kind of, yeah, I'd take Dahlia Black over that, and that says a lot. Um, <laughs> I almost watched the show on mute. It was that bad. Yeah, because every time like Dan Reed threw to her, and he's like, oh, blah, 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 and she just went, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow, ow, yeah. Not <laughs> It got to the point where I, I felt sorry for her almost. Mm. It, 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 it almost felt like she didn't want to do it and she'd been pushed into do it or something yeah. like that because she just, she she had no enthusiasm. Like, you know, at the very least, you want your commentator to be enthusiastic, even if they're not good at commentating. Enthusiasm can carry you a long way. You know what I mean? If, if you care about what you're watching, if you get people involved in the storylines, but like, and you feel bad complaining about a wrestler who's injured and you know they, they, they're doing the right thing by giving her the payday like you said Martin but like we have to say it as we see it you know what I mean and like there's nobody who watched that show could honestly say hand on heart that she did anything approaching even an adequate job mm. you know it, it was very very bad yeah, it's and it shame was they didn't have another role for her on the show I'm sure she could have come yeah. on something else or anything like that it's like you say I mean the pressure to come out and do maybe commentary or whatever when you're not prepared for it you know must be quite dumb, yeah, exactly. yeah. Mm. especially if you've got, when you've got twats like us there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that'd be no better let's just say that <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, um, like I noted there, there were a load of matches on the show. Uh, I mean, let's start with the Stardom exhibition match between Mayu Itani and Kagetsu. I mean, got to confess, I don't watch much Stardom, if any. I think last time I saw a, a full show, they did a joint show with BW in a small social club in London a few years ago. And uh saw a few of the rest on there. I think Mayu Itani took Nixon on. That's how long ago it was. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, Nixon's been off the uh, Brit scene for a while, hasn't he? So, uh, but I thought this match was absolutely—it was really, really good. I mean, lots of limb work from Kagetsu, who dominated most of the early proceedings. Uh, she had a stable mates out there, uh, Session Moth Martina and Jamie Hayter. Uh, I mean, I thought Mayu had some really great comebacks, hitting cross bodies to the floor and some uh, really good eye-flying. Uh, finish was a bit dodgy as the bell rang out of nowhere and it was declared a 15-minute time limit draw, uh, just as Kagetsu was hitting a 450 splash. Uh, I mean, not too familiar with these two, James, on my part, but uh, I think they certainly impressed me here. Oh, yeah, yeah. And again, I, I'm by no means an expert on stardom. I, I have seen them both wrestle before. Um, and like you said, it, it, probably two of, of the best wrestlers on the entire card, you know. And, and in terms of the bell-to-bell, probably... I would say maybe the second best match of the show. Um, 
it was it was very much an exhibition match. Um, as you said, the finish was a little bit botched. I, I think they were probably going for it ended in a 15 minute draw. And I think what they were probably going for was Kagetsu hitting her finish off the top, going for the pinfall. And maybe just before she got the three count, they were going to ring the bell. So she, you know, it kept, you know, neither person lost, but it kept them both looking strong or whatever. Um, but instead she, she got to the top rope. She was actually climbing the top rope and the bell rang out of nowhere. And I don't, I don't know if she didn't realize because she kind of kept going and the, and hit the move and it, it was all just a little bit awkward at the end there and I'm not sure whose responsibility it was to kind of ring the bell but it was definitely a little bit of a mess up that kind of spoiled the ending to a really good match apart from that um, the, the thing that I had an issue with around this match wasn't so much the match itself it was the situation on the outside um, now again I'm not an expert on stardom but to the best of my knowledge um, Kigetsu's um, faction is called Oedo Tai and two of her faction members are Martina and Jamie Hayter. And they accompanied her to the ring in the full Oedo Thai um, outfits and that kind of thing. And the commentary, and aside from that, they were both in matches separately on the card. And the commentary and on the house, Mike, both tried to tell us to ignore the fact that they were that this stardom canon thing was going on because it's parallel to that. They were having matches outside stardom canon in Eve canon. And the whole thing came across really awkwardly. You know what I mean? And, and it was a little bit, would many people have realized that if they just hadn't said anything about it? No. I don't think so. <laughs> you know, no. they, they, they drew my attention to something that I was completely oblivious to. Now, maybe people who are experts on stardom and are experts on pro wrestling Eve would say, well, you know, the, the, the things were contradictory and it was right to point it out. But to my mind, it, it was just completely unnecessary. It's you don't want somebody on the house, Mike, telling you to kind of ignore what just happened and pretend it didn't happen. That's that's really awkward and really kind of patronizing almost, you know, and I just felt it, it took me out of the show completely for a while because I was baffled as to why they were even saying it. And it just felt like them interfering needlessly in what was a really good match. And it, it just had no place, I don't think. And, and I don't think it helped matters. I think in trying to make things better, they made things worse. Yeah, I mean, what were your thoughts on this match, Benno? I mean, um, yeah, the, the sort of interference and the fact that it was out of canon didn't really sort of, like, sit well with me either. And it, but it, I didn't think it spoiled uh, what was a, a really good match, I thought. Yeah, I think that's it. It's just, I think, it kind of felt like it didn't really matter. I think that was that was my biggest problem. Um, yeah, I think as far as the show went, I mean, I had people talking about it as one of the the, the strongest match on the show. Uh, for me, it, it wasn't up there with, you know, Jordan Grace and Laura DiMatteo and the, the other big matches on the show. But for me, I just thought it was fine, all in all. I think that's that was kind of my feeling at the show in general. Like I said, I'd heard live reports raving about that one. I'd heard live reports raving about other matches on the show. Maybe it's just the commentary that kind of dragged the, uh, the VOD version down for me. But yeah, just in general, I just thought a lot, a lot of the matches on this were again fine and, and if anything i thought you know maybe the some of the live reports were maybe overly glowing and uh, and how stronger it, it made it sound like the show as a whole was going to be yeah sometimes you can have live bias on these things can't you but um i mean mm-hmm. james you mentioned there about session moth martina um was turned into session gotha she had a very bloody brawl with sue young i mean 
She, Martina got busted open in the first 30 seconds of this. There was staple guns, ladders, sumo babies, doors, undead brides. I mean, before <laughs> Martina picked up the loss into a load of drawing pins. I mean, James, the session moth might be out of this year's tournament to death, but from this outing, she looks like she would have fit right in there. Yeah, and I mean, say what you like about her. And I mean, I, I would always kind of be someone who for a long time is very much burnt out on her as a character and as a wrestler because... I've seen her so much, like I, 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 in terms of like every show I go to. Even when I went to Germany, she was there. I couldn't escape her for those shows. So there comes a point where a comedy character like that, you kind of have your fill with them. But like to give her credit, when it comes to doing, like I've seen her doing similar matches in OTT and she has no fear, you know, like she, she took every single type of bump that was asked of her here. You know, as you said, the Death Valley driver through a door, mm. big splash to the outside through a table. They hit each other's finishers on thumbtacks. Um, they, you know, she busted open hard way with a baking tin. Um, they, and like, I was very much enjoying this match for what it was. And again, like this thing with the baby on the stage, like was to oh. me was <laughs> awfully ridiculous. Like completely and utterly. Like they're, they're having, they're, they're having uh, baby teeth out or something. Oh, like oh, it was. I couldn't it, even tell. They're having they're having a death match, okay, and like it's not a death match in the sense that they're going through light tubes, but they're you know they're doing serious stuff to each other, and it's 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 a good match. I'm enjoying it, and then just if, if for people who haven't watched, and at this point they're on the stage and they're setting up a big move, and then out of the entranceway comes a guy dressed in one of those giant fat suits, dressed as a baby, and he starts throwing what I believe were baby's teeth onto the ground. And he kind of stands around for a while. The whole arena goes silent because nobody has any idea what's going on here. The commentary have no idea what's going on. Like like Dan Reed, who's the booker and one of the promoters, was completely confused as to what was happening. Mm. And then I only kind of realized at the end of it that it, it. I think what it was was that thing that Session Moth Martina does where she says she has 30 or 40 kids and this was one of her babies coming out. You know that that gimmick she does that she used to be announced yeah. and every time and every time she was announced she had more kids. So like it was a little nod to that but at the same time it's like okay you've presented this super serious death match the two people are working pretty hard you know and then you put this comedy spot in the middle and it just completely took away from the match for me like it was ridiculous. I don't yeah, know what was, you guys thought. It was just confusing and ridiculous. Yeah, it was it's like they started with the hardcore stuff and they were it was like the it was at the point wasn't it where they were doing like the beer fight on the yeah, on the stage yeah. and I was kind of like I was thinking oh, I'm not really loving this but you know the the crowd seemed to be into it they're responding somewhat to like the big hardcore stuff and then like say yeah the, the giant session baby walks out and then when they really lost moves when the undead, undead brides came out and it was just like yeah. at that point I mean I, I'm a big fan of uh, Impact's TV show but that's the point yeah, I was never a fan of that angle, uh, and they really lost me there. And yeah, they tried to kind of after that up the violence with the drawing pins, and I do think they did a good job of, you know, if maybe they lost some elements of the crowd, pulling them back in at that point. But yeah. still, it was just a a weird, perplexing match to watch. Again, another one where I kind of thought, yeah, there's, I, I reckon this would be a lot of fun live. You know, if you could. If you're enjoying the baby stuff and the, and some of the comedy elements and you're enjoying the big bumps, great. But on VOD, yeah, yeah. I was scratching my head and yeah, the, the commentary wasn't uh, exactly helping either. 
moving, moving away from that and onto the main event of the show, there's been two people who are very well known on the European scene and certainly uh, favourites of the EU fan base making their final appearance to the promotion. Kayla Ray and Viper facing off for the EU Championship. Uh, good match from these two. I mean, the two are the best female wrestlers out there, but I felt at least 10 minutes could have been shaved off this one. <laughs> I mean, it started off very slow, but the closing stretch was great. I mean, Viper in a reverse Hurricane Rana, some, uh, some fantastic flying from uh, Kayla Ray. Uh, Viper picked up the win and uh, the belt, but it, that wasn't the end of the match. As we saw, uh, Ray O'Reilly, who was a mainstay of Eve, I think she was uh, had the on-screen uh, sort of like commissioner role, uh, called an impromptu match and uh, drilled Viper with a DDT on the belt and became the new champion, sort of like sealing a heel turn from this uh, Eve favourite now. And, uh, Kayla Ray and Viper done with the company now, Jamesy, but um, pretty decent main event, I thought. Yeah, um, I, I have big issues with this match. Um, the first thing that I don't understand is why this was even a match in the first place for the title. If you have two people leaving the company and you know that this is their last night in the company, then why are they wrestling in the championship match of what essentially is the WrestleMania of your company? Mm. So the main event of the... So you, you're putting the title on the line and you know that whoever wins the match won't even be in the company again to defend it. So why in the name of God would you book yourself into a corner by even putting that match on in the first place? It makes no sense to me. It I, makes I no get sense what you're to saying. Me. I think maybe because they're the two biggest names on the show, maybe. I get that, but, but do they have to be in the title match? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think this, this would have been a perfectly good semi-main event without the title mm. on the line. They could still go out and have the great match, and then they could both say their goodbye and leave the company. Um... And like, again, I did a bit of, you know, I was confused watching it because I heard them say on commentary, this is their last night. And I was thinking, that makes no sense. Um, so I did a little bit of digging around and I was kind of looking at what the booking was leading into it. And, and the way that, that that Eve usually kind of run their year is very similar to New Japan. So that they have their She One competition in the same way that New Japan have the G1. And the winner of that gets to have, I think they, they term it as the match of their choosing mm. at Wrestle Queendom. So this year, Jamie Hayter won that. But instead of wanting to challenge for the main title, she chose to challenge for the EVE international title, which is like, as far as I know, would be like their intercontinental title. And it's defended overseas and that kind of thing. So straight away, you've kind of devalued the belt there where the person who, we like the person who wins the G1 Climax not wanting to challenge for the IWGP heavyweight title. Devalues the belt straight away. Um... I get that it's difficult for companies to book around the fact that, that people are leaving and going to WWE. But like we've all known for, for two years now that, that signed talents mightn't be available anymore. You know what I mean? They didn't have to have the title on Kayleigh Ray going into this, this, this show. They could have taken it off for earlier in the year. They could still have, if, if they really wanted Kayleigh Ray versus Viper on the show, they could have had it there and not put the title. Because, you know, and I feel like then they had this angle afterwards where, they realized the situation they booked themselves into where they had a champion who was going to be leaving. And then they had to do this angle after it, which, which to me didn't come across very well either. It all felt very contrived and very kind of, we kind of have to do this just to have the champion on one of our people. Like they had Rhea, they had Rhea O'Reilly come out and um, they showed a video and then kind of two of her new stable mates attacked Kaylee Ray and Viper from behind, but they attacked them before the video had played fully and then she just announced on the microphone, I'm the matchmaker. 
I'm putting myself in a match for the title and I'm the new champion. And it, it just all felt a little bit contrived. Mm. And it felt like it felt like they caused they created a problem for themselves that there was no good solution to. And the solution they came up with wasn't a particularly good one at all. Yeah. And it, it just ended the show on a very down note for me, you know, and like I enjoyed the show top to bottom. I would say to people, definitely give it a look. I thought there was nothing very bad on the show apart from this main event, which, which as you said, Martin, at times was very good. And like the, the other thing about the main event was because it was a match between two people who were leaving and because we knew that some, that the, that, that the champion wouldn't be in the company anymore. The match itself had no heat. It was a good match. As you said, they did some good spots and that kind of thing. But they spent the first five or ten minutes of the match basically doing comedy spots. They were doing, like, they were throwing water in and out of the ring to each other. Like, this is your this is your WrestleMania main event. And you have two people treating it almost like a joke, acting like they're the best of friends. There was no face-heel dynamic. This should be it. Like, last year, they had... Um, Sammy Jane and Charlie Morgan in this main event and they had Charlie Morgan she wanted to win that title so badly that she jumped off a balcony mm. and this year you've, you've got two people throwing water tossing water to each other and having a friendly match between two best friends and like you know if they had torn the house down and had an incredible heated match you could say okay they justified they were justified in putting these two in a match together but I didn't think it was that great of a match and as I said for most of the match it was very friendly and lacking in heat and lacking in urgency. Mm-hmm. And they basically damaged their title a lot, I think, what they yeah. did with that booking last night or yeah. in, on the show that I watched last night anyway. Yeah, I mean, we talked earlier about another match that felt non-canon and this that's what this felt like. It, you know what it felt like? It felt like, you know, that match Pete, uh, Progress did with Pete Dunn and Tyler Bate. Where it's it was kind of what I thought when I was going yeah. to watching this and it's, thinking, oh, this is mm. last night, you know, the, the in December, yeah, for it, yeah, know? you're gonna get like, you know, the crowd are gonna politely clap and they're gonna attempt to get into it, but they're not, they're never gonna be fully behind either wrestler, are they? They're not gonna be hugely in it because, like James, you just you know said there, there's no, there's no stakes either, really. And I say that it's for the Eve Championship, but it doesn't really matter which one of them kind of leaves with the belts and. Yeah, I think the match was kind of, because of that, just led with polite applause. I mean, the finish was a Viper driver off the top. That should be a big moment. And instead, it kind of didn't quite get golf claps, but it didn't get, you know, a huge a huge response. I mean, I maybe I'm a bit higher on the you know the show and the line than James do, but that was maybe because, more because I was just glad they did something. Because imagine if that was the end of their big show, you know, Viper driver off the top. We all politely yeah, clap yeah. and then we all go home. At least they tried something. I mean, I like Rear O'Reilly as well, so I like that they're trying to do something there. And yeah, it is very convoluted sports entertainment type stuff. Um, but for me, at least, at least you kind of had something with a bit of juice going forward yeah, to end your big fair. show on. Because yeah, yeah. really, I mean, if you didn't have that angle, this match probably should have been in the middle of the card. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also on the show, so Jamie Hayter and Nina Samuel have a three-way dance with the uh, EVE International champion Utami. A uh, very decent match. Hayter picked up the win and the belt. Uh, but who's someone who really impressed me was Utami. I've never seen her before. Stardom regular. I thought uh, the double gym suplex on both Hayter and Samuels looked uh, looked pretty good. And uh, decent match. I mean, most notable thing here, James and Jamie Hayter picking up the EVE International Championship. Yeah, and I would say this was probably my favourite match of the show. Um, like Unlike the main event, I felt like the crowd was really invested in this match. Uh, down the closing stretch, they were hot, they were involved. There was a face-heel dynamic 
like you had um, Nina Samuels as the heel and Jamie as as the kind of valiant baby face. One thing that that Eve did do very well, in fairness to them, with this show was the little video packages they did before the important matches, mm-hmm. where they kind of gave us the two or three minute package, told us the kind of. And for me, as somebody who doesn't watch Eve uh, on a on a full time basis, it's nice to kind of get that background to the matches. So we kind of got to hear the story of how Samuels had kind of interjected herself into the match, how Hater was clearly the face. Um, like you said, Martin, like Utami is is incredibly impressive. She's twenty years of age, and this is her. She's still in her first twelve months as a wrestler. Like yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, cage match, and I was surprised to oh, see something like last year that she started. It's ludicrous how talented she is, you know. And like in a in a way, I was a bit disappointed that she took the pinfall first. It was an elimination match, so she was kind of they got her out of the way a little bit too quickly for me because I was really enjoying her work. But I do understand why they would have brought it down to their own two wrestlers, and I do understand that you know the the story here is Jamie overcoming the the, the heel and that kind of thing. So yeah, that this this was 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 I would say the best match on the show. Um, probably the best I've seen Jamie Hater. Um. But again, like a little bit of a downside to it is she's now going to Japan for the next for the rest of the year. So that's another, you know, that's another one of their main eventers gone from the company and another title that won't be seen in Eve for a while. So it's kind of you're kind of leaving this show, losing a lot of people and kind of wondering where do we go from here? You know, I suppose like most other Brit rest promotions, I mean, moving on to the next match, um, they I mean, the crown first uh their first ever tag team champions, and uh, a lot of Brit Rest promotions do seem to have been relying on lately on tag teams uh, main event. In uh, it was the Wrestle Friends team of Jetta and Erin Angel beat Ginny and Mercedes Blaze, and the Medusa Complex team of Charlie Evans and Millie McKenzie. Uh, I mean, not really go too much into the match. I mean, McKenzie and Evans are fantastic as a team. I thought all those trips to Japan for Sendai Girls obviously paying off for them. Uh, I mean, Jetta, for those unfamiliar, started in 2002 and uh, <laughs> wrestled all over. I think she took a few years out and made a comeback around 2016. Um, I mean, she mainly works in EVE. That's where she's most prominent. And uh, a feel-good moment for the crowd with her and Angel being the first tag champs here, Benno. Yeah, nice to kind of a, a throwback moment for the the older people in the room, like me and you, uh, and give us like a, a big moment for a <laughs> and Jamesy, uh, a Jetta get kind of getting a moment. It just blew my mind that she's around and she's a she's in Brit Res as far as like a I don't know legends are probably too strong, but notable names from the uh, the past of Brit Res. Uh, yeah, I thought that was really nice that they kind of a, had that moment there and had that match. Um, solid to be honest. I think it was it was a good match to kind of have in the in the middle of the card. It was a good match, and I thought it, it struggled to follow the really strong Di Matteo Jordan Grace match. But all in all, yeah, a lot of fun. Well, you mentioned it there that Jordan Grace uh, Laura Di Matteo match. Obviously, uh, mm. Jordan Grace coming in on Love that. lost there, and then she uh, and then she lost again. Laura Di Matteo uh, picking up a two wing streak over Jordan Grace, which I suppose she's one of the most prominent women around the world at the minute, isn't she? So. Uh, I mean, Benno, I mean, pretty big surprise, I thought, uh, picking up two losses to uh, Laura Di Matteo here. Yeah, and I think the biggest surprise for me was just how good Laura Di Matteo looked. I I'm not saying she was, <laughs> yeah. not saying she was a world beater, but you know I've seen a lot of Laura Di Matteo and I've ne- just never really been blown away. I mean, Jordan Grace is fantastic. You know that's probably a, a big part of it, um, and she's good at working this match. You know against the, an underdog, but genuinely for me, the the best Laura Di Matteo appearance I think I've I've ever seen. Um, and again, it was a lot. It was it was the great selling from her, the big power from from Jordan Grace as well, and yeah. 
was surprised, you know, that this wasn't more talked up as one of the big matches of the show because, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this one. Well, um, James here, so Ron Furious, described this as a, like, Sting and Vader, so maybe not in that league, but, you know, similar style Perfect. of match. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like, I, I, I have an awful lot of time for Jordan Grace. I, I think if you're making a list of the best female wrestlers in the world, I think if you have her anywhere outside the top three, you're doing her a great injustice. I, I think she's, like, if you look at everybody on this card, you look at the way she carries herself, look at the way, even the way she walks to the ring, the way she looks the impact that her offense has you know like I remember seeing her live a couple of times in OTT and the impact that her moves have just to, how, how hard her slams hit the canvas and that kind of thing how hard her strikes are she's a top tier elite wrestler and like you know as you said uh, Laura DiMatteo wouldn't be someone who has impressed me an awful lot anytime I've seen her definitely the best match I'd say she's ever had in terms of anything I've seen anyway and like I, I would probably give Jordan quite a lot of credit for that um, and I, I think that's really I think like you know I think we've been quite hard on Eve with a lot of the comments on this show but it's a bit like Riptide I think the great strength that Eve has is that they present female wrestlers probably better than they get presented anywhere else you know what I mean so if you look down the card for this show um, there's a lot of people here that we're used to seeing in progress in Rev Pro, um, like Laura Di Matteo, uh, who never impressed me much in progress. Maybe you could say was never given the spots or given the opportunity to impress. Jamie Hayter would have been in Rev Pro for quite a while there and never hugely impressed me there. But here they they, they look like two of the better wrestlers on the show. So I mean that's that's the strength of Eve, and that's the thing we should give them credit for. Like They, they mm. do know how to pre present their wrestlers well. They do know how to present them in a way that makes them look strong. And that was one of my takeaways from watching this show, is that a lot of people, even Session Mott, you know, someone that I'm sick and tired of watching at this stage, I enjoyed her a lot in the way she was presented as a strong, good wrestler on this show, you know. Um, and that's that's the thing we need to give them credit for. Yeah, because I think all in all, very positive uh, show. I think um, definitely sort of like uh, there's a few matches there definitely worth going out um, and, and checking out. But there was uh, some more sad news on the show as we had uh, another retirement, Charlie Morgan, who was insanely popular with Eve. And uh, like you noted there, James, I mean, they presented her uh, 10 times better than anybody else. I mean, she announced that... Um, I think it was her ankle break for Shimmer a few months ago was worse than she thought it was going to be, and she'd be retiring. Uh, she trained with the Knights in WAW. I mean, made appearances for NXT and Pro NXT UK and Progress in the past year or so. But it, it was a working E where she really made a name for herself. You know, you you said earlier about that great match she had against Sami Zayn at the first Wrestle Queendom. I remember. I think it might have been the first she won. She had a, a couple of crackers with Kaylee Ray. I mean. Um, yeah, and obviously everyone will remember that dive from the balcony, but uh, it was definitely Eve where she uh, excelled more than anywhere else, Benno. Yeah, another one, though. <laughs> I mean, it just goes to your point you said earlier, but yeah, she she was someone who, again, expected big things outside of Eve, and it, you know, it never really happened. She never really, for me, looked herself, but in Eve, she did come across as a star, didn't she? And this was, it seemed to catch everybody by surprise as well, like it was... Obviously, nobody knew this segment was coming. There seemed to be a lot of, you know, genuine emotion in the crowd because she has got those just very strong ties to Eve. But again, it's another one, isn't it? Of just uh, another sad, you know, 
modern retirement required uh, in wrestling. And yeah, I think she's a uh, she's someone who I think again similar to what we said about Jack Sexsmith earlier. I'm much higher ceiling for me, at least from a women's wrestling point of view. The best was to come, um, and you know that that character work that she did in Eve was could have been the backbone of you know a, a really strong longer career. So again, yeah, another really sad one for for someone so young to retire. Yes, obviously, uh, best thoughts go out to uh, Jack Sexsmith and Charlie Morgan. And uh, it's moving away from Eve now, and it's been a while since we talked about progress. I mean, we completely skipped their non-canon 80s theme show, and uh, <laughs> they've held three shows since we last recorded. And I mean, first up was Chapter 90, The Lonesome Death of the One-Man Cabaret Act, um, on the 30th of June at the Electric Ballroom in Camden, uh, Headliner for this was Aussie Open retaining the Progress tag belts against TK Cooper and Travis Banks. But the the main highlight of this show for me, and I'm sure it was for you two guys, was a tag team match earlier in the card as a super strong style 16 winner David Starr team with man of the moment Michael Oku to face off against Progress champion Walter and uh, Shigehiro Irii. And uh, Walter's originally was supposed to be partnered with Mike Muller, but he couldn't make it uh, for whatever reason. So... Uh, Fine replacement here. I mean, a lot of the match saw Walter dominating Oku and uh, saw EA and Walter in a doomsday device of all things on Star. But I mean, it was Star who picked up the win, pinning EA. A really enjoyable match. I thought Oku had another star making performance. Uh, he seems to be doing that everywhere he's uh, been appearing, Jamesy. Yeah, uh, like by far and away the best match on this show, I thought. Um, like another. Another chapter in the Walter Star feud, like it's it's for better or for worse, every promotion is going in on it and every promotion is kind of putting their own slant on this feud. And I think it's it's great credit to the wrestlers themselves more than anything that they keep presenting it in different ways in these promotions that keeps you interested. You know, um, this was a nice, fresh dynamic to things. You know, it's nice to have a guy like Irie and Oku in there just to kind of mix it up a little bit. Um they kind of there was a nice hierarchy in the match where Oku was he was it was almost like a kind of a new Japan tag match where Oku was the young boy and he was taking a lot of the punishment he was having to sell an awful lot and he's just got this it's that intangible likability to him where you just want to get behind the guy you know I don't know if it's his small frame or if it's the way he carries himself you know, he, he the way he takes offense, you're really rooting for him when he's in there, you know, and like there's no greater mismatch than seeing him kind of standing across the ring from Walter and you're <laughs> kind of, you're, you're nearly fearful for the poor guy's safety. You're thinking, God, if Walter chops him, like is he actually going to be able to get up from it or not? You know, so just that visual alone of him facing up to Walter and uh, mm. the way he was firing himself up, I thought that there was a really good spot where, where Star kind of was slapping Oku in the face to try and fire him up a little bit. I really oh, like that. that. Was great. Yeah. Uh, really good. Like that's kind of when the match kind of kicked into that gear where I was thinking God okay this is actually really good stuff you know um, and and for me what was what was the most memorable thing was the actual pinfall where Star pins Irie and um, Oku was kind of holding Walter back on the ring apron from interfering and Star's eyes are just locked onto Walter and he's just as the as the referee is, pound, is counting the three fall, he's just staring a hole through Walter. You know what I mean? And again, it's it's David Starr, the character work, the little things he does in matches like that. That you know that you know I shouldn't want to see these guys wrestle again, but like I can't help but look forward to see them wrestling in progress again in September, just to see what what way they'll take it in this company, and like just Starr again is just 
he's just magnetic. He's just amazing. Every, every time he's, you give him anything and he makes it work, you know what I mean? And he makes it memorable. And like those little things like sta- slapping Oku, staring down Walter, they're the things that other wrestlers <laughs> don't even think about doing, you know what I mean? And they're the things that elevate Star above everybody else, in my opinion. Yeah, and he's taking people with him, isn't he? That's the thing, like an Oku, you know, that's yeah. Oku's, yeah. what's Michael Oku meant to progress, you know, what would he mean to progress? But having like this little dynamic with David Starr does make all the difference. They, like you said before, I love them playing off each other with the slap stuff. And and again, you know, the, the, the whole, uh, you know, NXT season one vibe the progress has got going on right now with the with the veterans and their young boys. Uh, not all of the, the combos work, but this is one where I think it's a really good idea. And I do, one thing I would say, though, as much as Oku is kind of Star's young boy, he himself, you know, no pun intended, did come out like, out like a star when he came out in his yep. entrance. He hasn't got his, his normal theme, obviously, but he's got a poise to him. He's obviously, like yep. I said, James, he's very slight, and there's a, there's a way to go, but he's got something. Um, and he's someone that makes me, you know, there are definitely people in this progress on the card that don't excite me, but he's someone, if they get behind, similar to how Rev Pro are trying to get behind him, I think he could do a really some really good things. And yeah, he had a really fresh dynamic to the match. I enjoyed all his interactions with Walter. Like you said, Star and Walter interactions are always great by me. And if anything, the biggest headline for me is that Michael Oku gets to walk out and say he beat Walter now. I love him playing that up. <laughs> that could be his gimmick going forward. He's, uh, yes. he's managed to beat Walter. He could even talk himself into a big title match maybe at some point. He'd get oh, killed, he get Cooper style, but uh, I'd enjoy watching it. Um, and yeah, for me, this was this match was very much the highlight of, uh, of maybe not the strongest show. Well, it's just that he's got that swagging personality, hasn't he, Oku, that you can't mm-hmm. teach. You either got it or you haven't, and he's yes. certainly got it in absolute yeah. droves. I mean, uh, moving away from the show, obviously we don't want a three-hour show going on here, because, uh, <laughs> I mean, let's jump ahead a couple of weeks, and uh, Progress headed up north for two shows on the 6th and 7th of July, Newcastle and Manchester, respectively. Uh, not dropped on VOD yet, obviously only happened at the weekend, but... Uh, Benno, you headed to Manchester on Sunday. I, I was the show, some of the highlights. I mean, um, I heard you say maybe it was a one-match card. Yeah, it very much was. I think, you know, Chapter 90 was, and I think Chapter 92 was as well. Uh, and from the sounds of it, Chapter 91 was too. I think that's the that's the, the problem you've got when Progress are trying to do, like, this rebuild and, like, say, doing the NXT Season 1 stuff and trying to get, you know, Connor Mills over, trying to get a more than hype over and trying but failing to get do not resuscitate over after that <laughs> that shit show of a feud the uh, the end of the super strong style weekend um but they can still deliver big matches and yeah walter and Ilya was a really memorable one i i was struggling really to think of a better brit red match i've seen this year live i don't think there is one i think it is probably my number one um a lot of people might say pack osprey but i hated the finish so much i think maybe i'd even have this above that um but again it is it is progress kind of borrowing from other promotions obviously this match has happened elsewhere obviously it's you know it's very much a wxw match and it's probably going to be an nxt uk match going forward but it was the loudest the crowd were all night because it was the one match with two big stars in and if anything, it was the loudest I think a progress crowd responded to Ilya Dragunov. Uh, it, 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 it was so loud that if he'd have won the title, I think it would have absolutely taken it. I think it would have been a really good idea um, to do something fresh because the people there really wanted to, wanted him to win. Were biting on all the near falls. His selling was getting over great. Walter, you know, being the big bully that he is, was getting over great. And yeah, they told a, a really good, you know, 
the classic David versus Goliath uh, story, but with the usual, you know, Walter chops and the, you know, the alias striking back and refusing to, to sell Walter's chops and that kind of strong style story that you get from them too as well. Um, yeah, I think similar to chapter 90, I'm not going to, not going to say to people, Oh yeah, rush out and watch this whole chapter. I had a fun time live. Um, probably one of the weaker progress matches just to start cards from, from start to finish. But you know, even if people are sleeping on progress at the moment, and I couldn't blame them after a couple of the shows they've had this year, I would say, you know, if you've still got that VOD, definitely check that match out at least. That was good to hear about earlier as well, because obviously we had Will Cullen on the mm. show a few times saying that he's not sort of like, he, he's not found what he's got in Germany and other places in the UK, has he? So it's good to see that mm. he's finally you know, getting over with the fans that way. Yeah, the Drago thing doesn't just doesn't work for everybody, does it? Uh, it is a kind of a weird gimmick. Um, but I was there with my brother, and he was loving it. You know, it was giving him memories of Rocky, so he was he was well into Ilya. Um, and I, you know, he's not a wrestling fan either, so it kind of says something that Ilya was coming across as such a big personality that he's that he could get over with somebody like that. And yet, this felt like. You're right. We, we've complained about it on the show before. Ilya hasn't always connected. Wembley was the best example of that, um, where he kind of got swallowed up by Pete Dunne. This felt like maybe he's connected in some way, finally. Uh, I don't know what the magic formula is. Maybe it's just throwing him in there with Walter. Uh, but it did make me yeah, vaguely hopeful on what you know what you could potentially do with, uh, with Ilya going forward in progress. Well, yeah, I think, and also the thing with progress in like last year, they, um, you know, they're not their booking might not be drawing you in, but um, they're certainly having uh, some quality wrestling. Sort of like uh, a few of the matches every show, you can always guarantee there'll be at least sort of like one match that really grips you. But um, I mean, James, you used to be a massive Ring of Honor fan, and uh, to uh, I was listening to the Beno's other podcast, Grapple Spotlight, uh, earlier today, and uh, Joe Lemon saying that. Uh, progress are now on the route to being similar to ROH that they had some good years and now they're on the path to obscurity. I mean, oh no. Are you are you of the same mindset? I mean I thought it was an interesting point made up made by Joe there. I thought you didn't want the show to go three hours, Martin. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Me and James are gonna tell you all about mid two thousand drink of honor now for the next hour. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's I think there's there's an arc that, that promotions in general go through where um you know they they start up and then the good ones will hit a peak. But like no promotion maintains a peak for many, many years. You know what I mean? And I think ROH had a peak. What would you say, Benno? Three or four years of of, of top, top where, where we were yeah. competing to it. About mm. that, which is kind of what progress have had, I think, in terms of the, the, when they were, the, you know, they, they've had three or four years where they were very, very good. And, and now they're on the way down. You know what I mean? And, um, you know. I suppose that the other similarity is that ROH lost a lot of talent to WWE as well. Like the, the people who got them to the top of the company all left and we were left with people maybe that we weren't as convinced by and that you could say that's the same thing with progress now. So yeah, I do see similarities. I, I do think it's an arc that most promotions will go through, unfortunately. You know what I mean? And no promotion manages to maintain a hot spell for, for very, very long. You know, like you look at WWE's history where they have hot streaks of two or three years and then it's down for a while. Um, and that's just the natural order of things, I think, for promotions more than anything. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's it. But I was just going to ask you then, sorry to jump in, but obviously, um, does it all seem doom and gloom for progress? I mean, they're still bringing in big crowds and still having these sort of like big main events like you just noted there. <laughs> It's still, I mean, I don't go to the Camden shows anymore and the atmospheres don't seem great down in Camden anymore. 
exclusively pretty much go to these types of northern shows or if they do ever go back to Birmingham I'll go to those shows and I would always say it's always a good live day out I mentioned before I took my my non-fan brother because I knew he'd have a good time because it is you know a good time going to progress shows uh but yeah it's a weird situation because like like James you said like Every promo, every booker, every great booker in wrestling history, never mind the promotions, will flame out at some point. You know, you can't keep that magic in a bottle forever. There's only so many, you know, good ideas that that anyone's going to have before you know you you go from being Bill Watts in the 80s to Bill Watts in early 90s WCW. Uh, every pro- someone who rotated bookers in and out, uh, <laughs> wasn't he? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that, that is true. Uh, but you know what I mean? It's like you can't you can't keep that level up. And yeah, you know. It does feel very Ring of Honor mid-2000s. A lot of the problems are, you know, not in some parts of their own doing. I think a lot of us could see the writing on the wall when the WWE relationship started. It's obviously taken the owner's attention elsewhere. They've obviously lost talent because of it as well. But what, you know, a progress defender might say, well, what they are doing is is the right stuff. Well, if, if you put me in charge of progress right now and said, what could you do to fix it? I'd, I'd say, well, you've got a hard road ahead, but you've probably got to spend the next six months building people up. Mm. And, you know, I might not pick Connor Mills. I might not potentially pick LJ Cleary, but, you know, like we said before, I, I would pick a Michael Oku. I'd pick a Spike Trevay if they could actually get him over in progress. Um, but I think that they're doing the right things, and I think it wouldn't be a huge problem for me if, you know, we're sacrificing these undercards for the, the next few months because at the end of it, we get a fresher progress and we get something a bit different than NXT UK guys on top and, you know, the ones they can use, they use, and then kind of nobody's on the undercard. If they can build up some of their own guys again and build up, you know, their own identity again, because identity is a big part of progress, you know, I'd be feeling more positive, but there is that pessimistic part of me of like, again, their attention is elsewhere. Will he really stick to that plan? And, you know, actually, you know, are, are, are the, the bodies left to make something like that work anyway? Um, I don't know. I think if I was in charge of progress, I'd be, I, I heard you guys talking last week about the, you know, the last show about David Starr and the whole controversy with, with Walter and him stomping on the belt. And I was talking to a wrestler who was going, yeah, you don't know WDB might now. Because David Starr did that, they might pull all the NXT UK guys from all Brit Res promotions. And I was kind of thinking, you know what? That wouldn't be the worst thing, especially no. for a progress. <laughs> if they could mm-hmm. just start fresh and not have this, you know, Trent Seven with one foot in, beating a Paul Robinson, yeah. you know, on the undercard of this Manchester show. Or, you know, I love Jordan Devlin, but, you know, he's all... Maybe you can add, you can add the odd exception like that, but the majority of the NXT UK guys, I don't think are adding much to progress anymore. Um, Walter is a great world champion to have, but when it's the exact same story you tell them with, you know, with NXT UK, same thing we have with Pete Dunne. You know, you're not really giving progress as its own identity. So I don't know. Maybe I'm listening to more problems than I am solutions. But <laughs> like, if anything, they're the things I do, and they're the things they seem to be trying to do. So I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm split on whether we uh, should be cutting them any slack here. I think what they're missing, and I think it's something that they haven't managed to do for a good few years, is they're missing a top babyface. Mm. When's the last time Progress had a Jordan Devlin in OTT or an Ilya Dragunov in WXW? That babyface that connects with people. The guy, who's been the guy in that promotion? You know, they had Pete Dunne for a while. Travis Banks, wasn't they? And then they yeah. messed that one. And they messed that up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and like, they, they haven't gotten a babyface top star over since, how far back would you have to go? Where they got somebody over as a babyface that stuck. Like, the crowd turned on Travis Banks. Osprey, They've turned Walter here. Osprey. I, 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 
chapter 20. What, what year is that? T- chapter 20? <laughs> Christ, yeah. 70, 70 chapters ago. Predates even our old show. Yeah, it's very hard to, to tell stories and build a promotion when you don't have a top guy. Like, like the, the, the whole foundation of a, of a promotion is is a Hulk Hogan or a John Cena. You know what I mean? When you have one of those, everything else falls into place. And I mean, that's to me is the biggest indictment of them. They haven't built a babyface star that they can pin their hat on, that can bring people into shows and that you can build up. Because once you have that, you build up other people to face them. Well, you know what I mean? Though, Jamesy, we're living in a different time now. Because it seems any company that builds up a babyface, they automatically get turned on that's true well what about jordan and ott but he knew knew that he'd get turned on so that's why he dropped i remember listening to an interview he did with flash morgan webster and he said oh everyone always turns on a babyface champion (laughs) so that's why i came up with the walter storyline to keep me right yeah but but he but he he is still a beloved baby face you know i mean i mean through telling i mean fair enough but that's up to the booker, you know what I mean? And yeah. the booker has to come up with ways. I mean, I, I truly don't believe that people don't want to cheer for people anymore. You know what I mean? I think it's it's their job to find somebody that connects with people. And if that means having somebody who's a little bit heelish, but you, you know the way it often happens in WWE, somebody starts as a heel and, and, and they become so, people start to enjoy them so much that then they turn babyface. There are still ways to do it, you know what I mean? And if it means being clever and starting with a top heel and having them be so eloquent and so compelling that people actually start to cheer for them, well, then that's the modern way of wrestling. And I think it's it's up to bookers to kind of realise that and understand it. And, I, I you know, like... The other thing with, with with progress is it's a second priority for the people running it now. And yep. like there, there, there aren't stories been told. And I mean, the way to, to get to grab people's attention is tell stories. Look what we just said with Riptide. You know what I mean? They're telling stories. They're building characters. They have Chuck Mambo, who's a massive baby face. You know what I mean? So it, it can be done. Jack Sexsmith. Um, there are people over with that crowd who they're cheering like old school baby faces. You know what I mean? So um they're just not bothering telling stories anymore and they're putting on matches and yes, there are the good matches and like Walter Ilya, you can throw that on any card and people will rave about it, but that's almost a free pass. You're getting Mm. a free pass then because people say you had a great match on that show and you don't have to bother doing anything on the undercard because you have that one good match. And that's the way it's kind of gone. One good match per show and then an undercard of people thrown together where there's not an awful lot going on that's compelling. I mean, I've got some positive progress news. They've only got four shows lined up for July and August, two of those taking place in Toronto. So we can take a small blessing so we haven't got a massive US tour to keep up with like oh, last God. year in the mega club yeah. tag tournament thunder. <laughs> jiggy. Australia. You don't have to have Australian tours as well. That was another one, wasn't it? Did those Three Australian tours ever happen? I don't remember anybody ever talking about them. Oh, I don't think they ever got onto VOD, did they? Really knows, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, they weren't the only Southern company to uh, hit the North this past few weeks. Uh, Red Pro held their second show in Manchester, Ungovernable, uh, featuring the Los Angeles stable from New Japan as the headlining act on that one. A couple of weeks old, this one now held at the Victoria Warehouse on the 29th of June. Uh, Benno, you edited there live. I mean, uh, was there any? Uh, what were some of the highlights from this show? And was this a better attended uh, show than the last Red Pro Manchester show you also went to? Uh, yeah, but mainly because you know the last show. I suppose it depends what you count. Really, do you count the New Japan joint shows, Alteringham? Is that a Rev Pro show? Because that's a really good Rev Pro attendance if it is. But if you mean the the uh, the media con, yeah, the media con only yeah. did. It probably looked to me like four hundred people maybe for for Rev Pro, and yeah, they were dwarfed by impact. So definitely better than that. Uh, I kind of had it 
pegged at about five to six hundred. I saw in the Observer, it was apparently there was seven hundred people there, uh, which is pretty good going. Not as good as pretty much half that or what Progress did in Victoria Warehouse, but they did lay it out really well. There was a good at- atmosphere all in all, although it did feel like maybe it being a northern crowd and you know some other Rev Pro shows have been slow to get on VOD lately. You know, didn't feel like a lot of the people in the crowd had seen the VOD and were hugely aware of of you know the ongoing storylines. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a, a mixed night, really a weird night. Uh, I went there ready to enjoy it and to have a good time, and I kind of came out maybe scratching my head a little bit about Rev Pro um, and kind of what they offer at this point. Uh, again, this is the it's the negative Britress hour today, isn't it? But <laughs> it was similar to what we saw with Progress and the WWE relationship. You know, we've brought up the New Japan thing a lot of times, but if you took the New Japan lads off this card, I don't think you're left with much. Um, and that's the state of Rev Pro right now. And unfortunately, when they do build up a guy like an El Fantasmo, if he looks really good, he's going to get signed by, by New Japan too. So it's the same kind of same situation as NXT UK. And David Starr wasn't in this show either, so it kind of was lacking from a, a big star point of view for Rev Pro. But for me, the, the biggest thing about this show, really, and the reason I went was when they announced the Shingo Michael Oku match, and we talked about that on, that on the podcast when they did announce it. It made me quite excited for the show basically coming out of Shingo's uh, appearances at the best of Super Juniors and, and based on Michael Oku's match with Pac. And while it was very good, even that was slightly disappointing, mainly because, as I said earlier, the crowd didn't really seem to be aware of the of the Oku phenomenon and the Pac match. I think sometimes we forget, you know, on podcasts like this, that those those cockpit shows are happening in front of 200 people. And I'm not sure there's hugely that many more watching on VOD. Um, so he kind of came out being the, the underdog against the much bigger Shingo. You wouldn't believe these two are both junior heavyweights, by the way. Um, <laughs> but he didn't really get cheered as such. So that, you know, that kind of you kind of lost something in the story there. There were even points where Michael Oku was kind of getting booed, like he was, you know, babyface Rocky Maivere in 1995, you know, as, as the fresh-faced rookie, and people just wanted the, the cooler, more over. Uh, Shingo to win instead but it was still a great match it carried on kind of Oku's run maybe not the perfect place to do you know a follow-up to his his pat match to, to throw it up on Manchester uh, in front of a crowd like this but then again we'd probably be criticizing them too if they didn't you know continue to feature Michael Oku in in big spots um, but yeah for me that was kind of the big note of the night really was that one match because uh, everything else on the show was kind of, for me, quite throwaway. And, you know, you got a, a throwaway Naito and MK McKinnon match that was fine. MK McKinnon, for me, you know, a really good example of the problem with Rev Pro right now. Surely you want to put that match with uh, against a Tetsu Naito. You want to, you know, put somebody who you can do things with going forward. And MK McKinnon's been on and off Rev Pro shows and, is it really up to the standard of a big match with Tetsu Naito? So, kind of gave away for me that the game of maybe where Rev Pro's roster in general is kind of lacking. Because if they had a, a couple of more big matches like that on the show and had a bigger opponent for Naito, um, even a bigger opponent for Zack Sabre Jr.'s match with Sanada, again, was fine, but wasn't anything spectacular. I think I'd be talking a lot more positively. But as it was, it was just, it was an okay show in front of a crowd that really wanted it to be good more than I would say it actually was. I mean, before we, um, there was so much wrestling, obviously, to watch this week. I only had a chance to watch that Oku and Shingo match, and I did. it was a very enjoyable match. But, um, I mean, just to go with what Benno said there, do you find, uh, Jamesy, that out of all the New Japan guys, that the LIJ guys seem to phone it in a lot more than the other ones when it comes to these UK shows? Oh, definitely. 
hundred percent. Um, like they've been over several times. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't like you know. You think of other guys who've been over Ishi Suzuki. There's lots of big memories there. You know, you can think of lots of matches they had where you thought that was that was. I got to see genuine New Japan match. You know, you know. Um, all of Ishii's matches, all of all of Ishii doesn't. Well, he phones in a little bit in England sometimes, but for the most part, you get effort. You know what I mean. And the same thing with Suzuki, fifty years of age, has no need to work hard, but has always worked to a certain level, at least in Rev Pro, where you feel like you got your money's worth. I couldn't name one Lij match of all the different combinations <laughs> of guys who've been over that, wow. that that was in any way in any way memorable. I, I, I don't know if you guys one, can. I think there was one Aussie Open against uh, Sonata and Evil, and I think that was the only time. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, like I think a year, that's a year or two years ago now. Yeah, and I and I think that's the greatest indictment of them all. You know, is is like they came to OTT and they they were in a six man tag and it was fine, but it wasn't anything memorable. You know, uh, the most memorable thing was the ring entrances. You know, like it's it's good to see these guys once. I think and to kind of tick them off the list and say I got to see Naito in person, a big star. You know what I mean, and that kind of thing. But when they come over repeatedly, um, and they don't tend to work very hard it kind of drags these shows down a little bit and you kind of start to think what is the value of it, you know, and like just to kind of broaden the point a little bit, as you said, Benno, if, if you took the Rev Pro guys off, off that card, mm. it's fairly grim reading, like, isn't it? And mm. I mean, we, we, we've just been very, very hard on progress and like maybe we have the, it's easy for us to put the boot into progress because of the WWE thing and that kind of thing. Well, and you because kind of... NXT UK is bad and New Japan is good, basically. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, but like, there has to come the point where, where we put RevPro under the microscope no, a little fair. bit yeah, and, and say, you know what, these guys are struggling. You know what I mean? And um, like MK McKinnon against yeah. Tetsuya Naito, that, that's not good enough. Like the, no. these guys are supposedly the second biggest company uh, independent company in the UK and that's not a good enough match to put on you know what I mean it's I think it's almost mildly embarrassing to put that match on yeah you know like McKinnon's could... never done it for me not even when no. I was supposed to be having these classics in Fight Club Pro in 2011 you look to joke yeah. opposite the ring and watching, watching him live yeah he's crappy singlet and he's he's yeah. tiny as well I know he's got a he's got a job outside the wrestling and a life outside the wrestling I wouldn't usually you know have a go at someone's look but that was another thing just seeing him opposite the ring with Naito Naito took his t-shirt off I mean we're moaning about LIJ <laughs> well, I put some effort in here he took his shirt off at least yeah, yeah. at least he yeah. did that and, he, and MK McKinnon couldn't have looked more ridiculous opposite the ring from yeah. him um, you, you, you couldn't put that match on New Japan World and that's more of it that their presentation is shoddy oh. they make no effort with that kind of thing um like the, 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 the just to go back to the oku and, and shingo match for a minute it wouldn't have cost them much to put a small video package together before that match on screen yeah. showing the rise of michael oku because as you said a hundred people go to the cockpit a small handful of us watch the watch those cockpit shows on vod so you put a small video on the screen to explain who michael oku is like there's probably a lot of people in that audience who are new japan fans who've never seen him before and they just see the skinny kid come out and why would they cheer for him you know what i mean and he's not a good enough wrestler yet and a big enough star to turn a crowd on his own he needs a bit of help and that's where the promoters are. They're actually letting Michael Oku down, really. They put him in an impossible situation there where he was in with a massive superstar. He got swallowed up completely. He got booed at times. He didn't get cheered. And even doing something simple like a small video 
on on the big screen, just explaining who this guy is, a little a little package where you get to see his motivation. It might have helped, and it might have given them some chance of getting the crowd behind him. Because I feel like yes. It's a big opportunity to wrestle Shingo, but they also kind of hung him, hung him out to dry almost because he he kind of died a death there and it does his push no good. And that's the match that more people will see than the really good cockpit matches where he's actually developing himself, you know. It is that presentation though, isn't it? I mean, look at OTT and I hate to, I know we've gone on and on and on about the incredible <laughs> packages that they've done, but... They've worked for people. They've worked for that company on a worldwide stage. People have watched that. Um, I don't expect everything to be to the level that OTT are doing, but it's created that buzz worldwide. For people who've never seen OTT before and they're like, "Wow, I've got to see that match based on that package." So you know, so we're putting things like that together for you know your Michael Okus and things, and they come across as bigger stars, wouldn't they? So yeah, yeah, absolutely. It. Well, look who we've got OTT. Well, look who we've got Jamesy, to be honest, because the Irish are keeping Brit Reza afloat right now. Because, <laughs> yeah, we moaned about progress and we moaned about Rev Pro, but I think it's it's warranted because these are the two biggest promotions, aren't they? And Brit Reza, and like I said, I couldn't have, I was, you know, when I actually did get some internet signal, I was just nodding in agreement to you guys on the last show about the, the current state of, of these big promotions. And they're not impossible fixes, you know. Rev Pro, similar to progress, needs to build guys that aren't MK, MK McKinnon. Uh, and they've had a long time to do it. You know, you can blame Dudu B, Paul and Talon, but that was a while ago now. I, I, I think we've all, we've all given Rev Pro a lot of rope, probably more than they deserved at this point. And little things like that, the way the even the way the cards are structured sometimes, the way the cards are presented, the way the VOD is presented. You made the joke about the, you know, the smudged lens before, Martin, but like I, I was there live, you know, stood in the bar, and there was a crystal clear HD camera you know, pointed at the ring, the hard cam, and it looked incredible on the TVs in the venue. And then it goes on VOD, and it looks like absolute shit because there's just RevPro don't put the effort into the production that an OTT does, that a Riptide does. These are... Again, for allegedly, you know, maybe the number two promotion in Brit Res fixes that, you know, are unforgivable and, and easily done. Yeah, because also, you know, we, we do highlight the positives and the negatives. We just want, you know, there's things that can be done that you would make the presentation better and, you know, make the whole experience of going to these shows a lot better. I mean, uh, coming up for that uh, weekender at the end of August, I'm still sort of like really looking forward to going to that Summer Sizzler show because I think they'll, uh, you know, put together a good card especially with the the big new japan show the night after so there are there are you know not everything can be like oh this is all mm-hmm. amazing you know what i mean there's going to be positives mm-hmm. and negatives for everything isn't there but um yeah. i mean speaking of a negative thing i mean ben i've heard some i mean you've been to a lot of uk shows recently uh i mean i heard some sort of like flack be thrown at certain parts of the crowd and it seems to be getting more and more vocal that people are getting annoyed with brit rest crowds is it as bad as people are making it out to be I didn't experience it at the Manchester show. I've seen it. I've seen the talk. I mean, I believe that there was a bad atmosphere at the Camden show as well, and there was some people in the corner chanting about TK Cooper's hat or something like that. Um, I, did, I you know I have seen reports of you know a bad crowd in Manchester. I've got a mate who gets very loud at shows, and you know he'll cheer the bad guys. It, was it wasn't me. <laughs> I'm not <the laughs> No, I, I cheer the good guys, and I'll, uh, I'll I, I, all I was doing was cheering for earlier. That was my heart's content. Um, but they, you know, if someone's loud and annoying, you can you can always move. But it did sound like there were other pockets of fans that you know there at the progress show in Manchester, where you know there were things being shouted at Walter about his weight and some pushing and shoving going on stuff you don't really like to hear yeah. um but no probably stop short of saying it's uh, any kind of epidemic yeah 
I suppose there's always going to be a few people who get um, a bit too pissed up, isn't there, and uh, sort of like try and spoil shows for people and make it all about themselves. We've all been at those shows, haven't we? So, uh, I mean, anyway, moving away from uh, Red Pro, but sticking with uh, the New Japan thing, uh, G1 Climax kicked off this past Saturday in Dallas, and we've got two British representatives in the tournament this year. Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr. will face off against Lance Archer and Zack against Sonata, and I mean, before we get into the matches, Zach put, has been putting in a fantastic performance of the press conferences and the post-match press conference. I mean, the original one, him, him saying he's got a noodle-like limbs that has more submissions than Will Ospreay sent out idiotic tweets this morning. And then the post-match press conference claiming he'd been cheated in his match, claiming the official was so dense, light bends around him and other such uh, things. I mean, <laughs> Zach's excellent in these uh, in these roles and a really underrated talker, I feel, Jamesy. Uh, yeah, like, uh, and, and there's nobody kind of talks like him. Like, he's clearly a highly intelligent guy with, with strong political views and it kind of it comes through in his promos, you know, like, and I mean, uh, I thought the best line of all was the one about um, having a technical wrestling match in front of American fans was like reading Shakespeare to a dog. <laughs> that was a fantastic line. Um, he regularly puts the boot into the royal family and that kind of thing, which will always get brownie points from me. So, yeah, like he's 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 just fantastic, you know, and that's a side to his game. We've kind of seen more nearly in New Japan than we did in, in Britain for a long time. I think those, those post-match interviews they do where they're backstage and they're just... Um, I think in New Japan, the, the foreign guys have fairly free reign to say what they like, with the, you know, within the bounds of decency and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And he takes full advantage of that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's 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 fantastic. And like, if, if you in any way share his political views and that kind of thing, it's just music to your ears, really, you know? Yeah, definitely. But I mean, uh, moving on to the matches, I mean, Osprey and Archer had an absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic match, didn't they? I mean, the pace of these to went that and uh, Benno I mean easily the best match Archer's ever had isn't it I mean such a compelling and exciting match I've never seen he's never sort of like grabbed me like that before not a rock and rave connection fan then, no. <laughs> well I did used to love it when they come down with the guitar hero uh, guitars <laughs> couldn't even have the real guitars it was like a, a Playstation 2 guitar they used to come down with <laughs> that's a uh, yeah best best Lance Archer match I've ever seen and uh well, saying that, I really enjoyed the, the New Japan Cup match the two of them had yeah. as well. But yeah, this was this was just Osprey letting everybody know he's here, weren't they? This is this is the G one we're in for with Osprey. He's he started hot and he started exactly how we should expect to, to see him in this G one. Like that opening stretch of like maybe a minute and a half where it was kind of straight into the Spanish fly, and then we got straight into the kind of got loads of craziness. So we got you know the, the choke slam through the table, and it was just Osprey going a million miles an hour, and yeah. Like I say, that crazy air raid crash on the on the stage and the Spanish fly off the top and just it was I don't think I think Lance Archer is a serviceable big man, but I've never seen him have a match like this. And yeah, it was very much Osprey. Like I say, we're gonna be obviously tracking the uh, our two Brit Res guys as as they go through this tournament. And yeah, if this was for me, this was definitely the match of the night on night one. Uh, I know some disagree with that, but I think we're going to be talking about that with Osprey right through the tournament because, yeah, if he can if he can do this with Lance Archer and, like I say, he can convince him to do it, convince him to take those bumps that he was uh, taking on the stage uh, and convince him to take that Spanish fly off the top rope and the other craziness we saw in this match, then Lord knows uh, what he's going to do, be doing with the other lads in that block. Archer was well up for this, wasn't he, uh, Jamesy? 
Yeah, like, I mean, and it was his hometown as well and that kind of thing. And I think he had been responsible for a lot of the local promotion and that kind of thing. So I think they, they, they nearly gave him the Osprey match because they knew, they basically knew that if, if you wrestled with Osprey in 2019, you're going to have a good showing. And he's just going to, like we talked about David Starr bringing people up with him in his matches and Will Ospreay is exactly the same like he, he just mm. brings people up and I mean what, what you're going to see in that A block is just by the sheer his sheer desire to have great matches everyone else is going to have to as well you know what I mean because you, you, you these guys are, are very proud wrestlers and they pride themselves on their work rate and they're not going to have a guy like him stealing the show every night you know what I mean so just by putting him in a block it's going to elevate the whole thing you know what I mean yeah they don't want him sort of like uh, stealing the show like say every night yeah Kota Bushi's in that block like there's no way he's going to take kindly to everybody raving about every night you know what I mean so God knows like, like I mean night one of a 19 night tour and Will Ospreay's taking choke slams through tables like I mean he's <laughs> young times you know he's just like crazy he's crazy but at the same time like you, you just have to sit back and enjoy it you know what I mean and it's um, I'm so happy he's in this because he brings just a totally new dynamic to the whole thing and freshens everything up and like Lance Archer is apart from maybe bad luck Fale and maybe evil second or third worst guy in the in the thing and he's had that match with him so like wait till he gets to Kota Ibushi and wait till he gets to Okada and wait till he gets to Tanahashi and these guys you know what I mean like it's it's going to be amazing well, now that you've said it I'm just looking forward to him bad luck Farley now I just want to see what Osprey can do just see. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just to see what he does with him and I guarantee you it won't be bad I guarantee you we won't be sitting here talking about that match in two weeks time and saying that bad luck Farley match was no good I guarantee you he'll get something good out of him well, Zach and Sonata is decent, but we're definitely going to see better uh, Zach Sabin Junior matches, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. It was like it felt like the show, the match I saw them have in Manchester was like the dress rehearsal for this, uh, and neither were, were particularly blow away. It was a, above average. They'd like to have these weird long technical matches, then too, don't they? There's just something Zach Sabin gives Sonata a lot in those matches. Yeah, I thought Zach Sabin was good for his part. Just yeah, the Sonata, as we said earlier, just is unfortunately isn't a wrestler that particularly interests me. So moving out the side of the G1 and obviously um, as the tournament finishes, I mean, um, obviously we've got Royal Quest and then that big Summer Sizzler show. Do you think we are going to see the uh, Zach and Will rematch on either one of those two shows, Benno? I'm still, I, I I seem to be the only one who believes it and maybe this will be the, the downfall of my pickums. but I really <laughs> think Osprey might beat Okada. I think if my theory comes true of Okada winning the whole thing, he can take a loss against Osprey. It'd be a big story. Because it's a junior, so maybe I'm being a bit too hopeful. Uh, I don't see Osprey getting any other big wins, many other big wins in the tournament. It's going to be more a performance one. But imagine doing that. Imagine going back to Osprey Okada uh, in England again, the match that kind of broke out Osprey, at least to you know a Japanese audience. Do that again. That's what I'm hoping for, really. But yeah, you know, Zack Sabre and Osprey is hardly a, a bad second prize either. No, <laughs> certainly not. Um, I mean, before we head out of here, we've got a couple of news items. Uh, I mean, following on from our uh, talk about WWE moving to BT Sports over here and their television programs reaching less homes, it seems they've been having a few problems with the house show tour over here in November. Uh, It seems to have taken a slump. I mean, the uh, upcoming tour, four dates have already been cancelled, Nottingham, Birmingham, London and Minehead. Uh, Reason seemingly for that was the rescheduled show in Saudi Arabia, which is fair enough, I guess, but then... I mean, following on from those cancellations, the Raw TV taping was originally 
supposed to be held in Glasgow, but then changed that show to a regular house show, and now Raw's being taped back-to-back with SmackDown in Manchester on November the 11th. I mean, understandably, Scottish fans have been pretty pissed off about this, thinking they were getting a Raw TV taping, and now it's just a regular house show. I mean, some of this might be to do with the show in in Saudi Arabia, but it all seems a bit very bizarre, Ben. It seems like uh, some of these shows might not have been selling as well as they wanted them to. Yeah, I think maybe that's something to that. I think mainly it is the Saudi stuff. I think uh, a big part of it is, you know, the going into the end of the year, there's going to be, you know, changing nights as far as, you know, SmackDown and Raw goes. Maybe that's something to do with it as well. But, yeah, it does. It seems like, you know, right now, yeah, we've talked about it on, on the show, you know, AEW are going to be trying very hard to get into this UK market. They're going to try and be the the TNA of 2019, you know, back when TNA were actually over in this country. They're going to be on ITV4. WWE are going to be buried away on BT Sports. And the opportunity is there. So it did strike me, as, you know, as far as the news story goes, just as like, you know, just keep the Brits happy for now. You know, don't don't be pissing people off. This is not the time to be to be messing around and you know and, and annoying a a very very hardcore base that the the WWE has had out, out here for years. Uh, yeah, just a, for me, just a little more of a a worrying sign that maybe a WWE are taking you know those poor fans for granted. I mean. I, I probably struggle to sift through a raw TV taping, but a raw house show, uh, God, I'd be giving my tickets away if I was uh, those poor Scots. I mean, <laughs> I mean, sorry, sorry, James, but it does seem like if AEW sort of said, oh, we're doing a show sort of like, I don't know, maybe January, February, and they were to announce Wembley Arena, it mm. feels like they would do really well there, especially with the New Japan show doing so well in uh, the Copper Box Arena. But, James, mm. it's not a good look for uh, WWE, is it? Sort of like really messing your fans around, especially when they've shelled out. Tickets aren't cheap for these raw tapings, are they? No, and it's it's it feels like it's just kind of these little bits of bad news all the time from WWE at the moment, you know, and, and they'll always have a reason or an excuse why something's happening, you know. So, like, they, they will claim that they they already, you know, that, that they showed that they decided to run the same night as, as AEW. They'll claim it was already booked and that kind of thing, you know, and they'll claim it was the Saudi show and that kind of thing. But they have to be careful because, as you said, if AEW come and run, mm. what's Wembley Arena? 10,000 seats? 15? Maybe yeah. less than 10, actually. I think it's just less than 10, yeah, yeah. They could do better as good as progress, though. Easy. If if they run that, they'll sell it out within an hour. I guarantee you. No problem at all. They they will. If 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 people in Britain knew that a big AEW show was coming, with those guys, the elite who are, who are a definite draw to a certain um, mm. portion of fans, they'll sell that out no problem. And and we talked before Ben a few episodes back about the, about the UK market and about how just how hardcore UK fans are. You know, I, I think UK fans are. UK and European fans in general are, you know, we put up with a lot. We're the people who got up in the middle of the night to watch pay-per-views and that kind of thing. Um, but when there becomes it like and something like that that leaves a bad taste, when there is an alternative on the horizon, um, it's it's getting dangerous for WWE. You know what I mean? And they have to kind of they're losing the hardcore fans. And they're the fans they kind of thought they'd never lose. And as you said, doing things like changing what type of show it is, is taking advantage of people and kind of taking liberties with their loyalty. And when there's an alternative, when there's no alternative, you might get away with that. When there is an alternative looming on the horizon, that's a dangerous game to start playing because suddenly people have somewhere else to turn. And that's when it starts getting a bit messy, I think, you know. Speaking of UK tours, you weren't here last time, Beto, when we were talking about WWE <laughs> running, uh, was it three dates in Liverpool? I mean, do you know what the, what the venue is that they're running? 
Yeah, they run the Blackie, which is uh, it's like a community center, but it's where T- Tetsujin ran their first show, and it's also where TNT ran their first show. Uh, the I believe TNT's booker Jay Apter is the booker of OWE, and that's like like the uh, the connection. But the main thing is, it's literally the entrance to Chinatown, Liverpool, the big gates. That's exactly where the venue is. So maybe they're hoping for a tie-in. I can't see. I don't know. Is the in China? I don't know how well they draw. I don't know if the Chinese population in Liverpool are going to be coming out. But hey, I'll go down. I'll go for a you know a slap slap up Chinese meal and then go see some Chinese wrestling. Three nights in a row. That's probably a big ask, but yeah, that's I think that's the uh, that's the thinking behind the questionable idea of three nights in Liverpool. I think. I just think it's all your fault, isn't it? I suppose all these <laughs> companies coming over just because you suggested uh, uh, Liverpool for Ring of Honor's first show in the UK. <laughs> they just thought there was just one. Yeah, they, well, they thought there was one idiot from Liverpool travelling up to Ring of Honor from Liverpool, so I think they just thought there were tens of thousands of us. There isn't. It was me, and it was my mates like James here coming over for the bus. So, like, though, before we uh, head out of here, uh, a kid of White Wolf Wrestling fame has been announced for this year's PWG Battle of Los Angeles tournament. I mean... PWG not as eye-catching as it once was, but this tournament always gets a lot of chatter and great news for A-Kitty. I mean, rumours of him signing with NXT UK um, seem to be unfounded if he's he's doing something like this, Benno. I don't know. I mean, I know Regal used to go to all the PWG shows. It's almost like a recruiting den for, for WWE, so I wouldn't rule it out based on that. It is weird, though, isn't it? Because he's continuing to run, do RevPro. Um if I was Red Pro, I'd strap the rocket to him and have him in that big singles match with Naito in Manchester. That should have been a kid. Um, maybe, maybe it's a complicated contract, or you know, these NXT UK contracts that does seem to be one rule for one and one rule for another. But yeah, you know, PWG have always got their ear to the ground, and obviously had those big matches with Zack Saber, Osprey, the Pete Dunne match. I've not seen myself yet, but I believe that was that was great too. Um, so yeah, good pickup for them. Uh, hot guy in European wrestling right now. you just like to see more European promotions, specifically more British promotions maybe feature him like PWG are going to do. But then again, you know, maybe a killer bowler will, uh, will change that for him. PWG, something you uh, check out much these days, James? I, I find it's not as must-see as it would have been a few years ago. Um, like, I, I think they'd lost something when they moved to the new venue. Like, I know it's a nicer venue and it's a bigger venue and they can sell more tickets. But like there was definitely magic there in Reseda, you know what I mean? And and I mean I have great memories of, of bowlers from the past uh, and and like waiting desperately to get the DVD in the post and that kind of thing. Um, I wasn't doing that the last few years. And I mean even if you look at the the announced names so far, like like there's a lot of guys that I like. Like there's A Kid, there's Gresham, Artemis Spencer, Darby Allen, I think Bandito, Orange Cassidy, guys I'm a fan of. But like it, it feels like. PWG has definitely been hurt by the cull of talent on the indies in the last few years. You know what I mean? Like they, they, you know, we talk about how the UK was impacted, but like the US indies have been completely cleaned out. Mm. You know, Pete Lee, um, God, like Trevor Lee, all these guys who, who uh, Riddle, all you know, that whole generation of top indie guys is gone. You know, uh, and they're kind of left scraping around a little bit and taking names that are kind of more unheralded. And as I said, guys, I love like Gresham. I'm never going to complain about seeing Gresham wrestle for three days, but the star power just isn't there anymore. I don't think. And the must see, like I, I can't remember the last PWG show I rushed out to watch. Um, it, it's kind of a thing where you hear about the odd good match and that kind of thing. But 
it's like progress in RevPro. Like it's 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 definitely a, a kind of a, a promotion that's past its its kind of stellar years. I think at this mm-hmm. stage. Yeah, definitely. But it will be interesting to see how much of a sort of like you would expect a kid is going to make um, a big sort of uh, splash in that tournament. So you know, it'll, it'll be good to see how he he does get on mm. there. But I mean, before we head out of here. Uh, our new contributor, Andy Ogden, along with his brother Jeff, uh, provide an alternative commentary track for Title Wrestling's High Tide event. Uh, it's fantastic news for the lads. Not had a chance to listen myself, but uh, something very different from, from the company here. And, um, yeah, certainly go out your way to uh, check that, uh, the alternative commentary track from, from those two. And, uh, I mean, before we get out of here, uh, Jamesy, uh, any upcoming articles or anything uh, you're getting out there this month? Yeah, I should have um, a, a Riptide review actually in the next um, episode of Fighting Spirit magazine. Oh, awesome! And myself and Will Cooling, for um, former guest on this show, of course, um, did a small article together about Jonathan Gresham's little visit to the UK there a few weekends ago, where he did the show in Ireland that we talked about, and the show in Soul Wrestling. And we both kind of saw those matches live to get live, and we thought it'd be nice to kind of do a small article together about the live experience of seeing Gresham work in these smaller places and kind of work with younger wrestlers and and just the, the whole magic of seeing Gresham wrestle in a small room. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. I don't think it'll be out till July, but yeah, that's all the plugs I have at the moment. Excellent, yeah, I'll be sure to check that out. Sounds like a, a really good article. And uh, Benno, obviously the whole um, controversy over roast dinners continued on Grapple Spotlight past couple of weeks. Hasn't it? <laughs> oh, we were so close to getting a sponsorship with Toby Carvery. We're trying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, it's crazy. We talk, we talk about all kinds of wrestling. We talked about backyard wrestling on this week's show. We talked about the impact pay-per-view that I don't think anyone other than us and, and Paul John uh, and Nate are actually going to even watch. Um, but then the thing that gets the biggest response is when Joe has a go at the, uh, the famous uh, British roast dinner. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the stuff that gets clicks apparently uh, but yeah he's a he's an outlier i'm a big roast dinner fan myself send your hate mail uh, his way not my way uh but yeah if you want to if you want to listen to that kind of uh, nonsense that we do every week uh, every monday uh, the grapple spotlight podcast you can find via the grapple app itself um or you can just search for it on Podbean and all of the other podcast apps and uh, follow me on twitter at benson richard e and uh, of course post wrestling forum leave us feedback for this week's show and any of other shows um, we'll be back on the 24th of July talking all the latest from the European wrestling team thanks for joining us and we'll catch you then <laughs>